Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Vernomatic Productions. Hey, hey, what do you say? This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. That's right. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC with John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Waltz. You're in the right place. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. God, Metal May is over. We are full bore summer. Yes. Thursday nights, new content drops. Tonight, we got a scorcher of an episode. We welcome Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Ban has that new CD scorched, new tour, new shenanigans. Well, Metal Walt and I, we meet up with them. Those two talk Jersey. We talk old school. We talk the new album. That's coming up in just a minute. But first, just want to remind you to get up to our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Get updates on new podcasts. We're pumping them out now, gang. Just fucking pumping them out. Let's see. Last week, we had our crossover episode with the guys from the Talk Louder podcast. And we are talking about everything Metallica, their new tour, their new album. Uh, That was a good one. We had a few rock and roll detention episodes. That's our sister show we do where we take deep dives into special, you know, um, uh, content, if you will. We had the band Badlands talking about their two albums. Ian O'Rourke and I did a deep dive in the Van Halen Fair Warning. We also send you notifications for our Monday night live radio show. Now, this is something completely different. I host it on Metal Devastation Radio. It's live three hours. We're playing tunes. There's a chat room. You get in there, you talk to other metalheads around the country, around the world, actually. Request music, and it's a real cool show. So again, sign up for the newsletter. And we're running a promotion this week. It's real easy, and this is fun, and it helps the cause. Wherever you listen to the show, Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to it, do us a favor and leave a review, okay? That kind of stuff does help in the podcasting world. 
leave a review. I'll collect them all and I'll pick one. I'll read them all on the air, but I'll pick one. And if I pick your name and your review, I'll send you a Metal Mayhem ROC summer tour shirt. We have some new swag. So I'll send you a shirt, some stickers, some, um, you know, Metal Mayhem stuff. So again, just go up to the website, sign up for the newsletter and leave us a review at whatever platform you're listening to the show. So let's get into this. Metal Walt, tonight's episode, we just got scorched by Bobby Blitz. Your take on this episode, uh, what do these people have in store in this interview? Man, this is Jersey, Jersey humor and Jersey salt of the earth guy, 101, man. He's cracking the pavement. He's who he is, man. The persona you see him on stage, I've seen him 20 times. He's that guy. F-bombs all over the place, laughing his ass off, vaping during the interview. But really cool, cool discussion. He really went deep on talking about the songwriting through the years and the, on the, the 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 singing style and how he preserves his voice and really what it brought to the table on Scorched. And he gives all the credit to his band, never about him, and uh, so, so much more. We really go deep into the history of metal in Rochester and Jersey and New York. It's a good one for anybody in those listener areas. It's going to be a gem for you guys. Enjoy it. Yeah, I, the only thing I suggest, go get yourself maybe two beers because it's a long one and just enjoy this because we got the call at the last minute. The publicist said, can you do it? And we had about five hours. We put it together and we really enjoyed this one. So Metal Walt, we will talk with you soon. For everyone else, I'm the Vernomatic and this is Metal Mayhem ROC. Overkill, overkill, overkill. So we got an old friend up here today. The band just released their 20th album. He's live from the gutter. Let's welcome Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Good to be on Metal Mayhem with the Verminator and Wolf. <laughs> Ready to go, my friends. Well, you know what? It, it's a Jersey thing here. Walt's from East Hanover. Not sure where you are, but say hello to my co-host, Metal Walt. What do you say, Walt? How are you, man? I'm great, man. Yeah, we're probably only a stone's throw away, either up uh, the Garden State Parkway or, I don't know, 287.15, wherever it is. Yeah, 287.15 for me. I'm up in uh, Vernon Valley. I've been up here for, jeez, uh, three decades now, up by, up in the up in the Skylands, in the ski in the ski slope area. <laughs> yeah, so I had a question. Is it true, Bobby, that you own a chocolate shop? Not anymore. I did for a while. I had a couple of brick and mortars. I had one in Newton, New Jersey, and one in Nyack, New York. We used to import from Germany, Belgium, Netherlands. So it was that high end kind of uh, kind of a family business. Uh, had a uh, relative wife who was from uh, that part of Europe. She was a Dutch girl, and uh, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. It seemed like a no brainer having Dutch chocolate with a Dutch girl selling it. Yeah. Seem seem ideal. I'm sure you had like the overkill logo chocolate with a little green on top and that kind of thing. The heavy metal fingers, right? You so, laughed, uh, but we did. <laughs> we, we see, are. I've never been there. I didn't even know. And I, I'm at, it's, it's true. <laughs> I had a black box and it said Blitz's picks on it. And you got like you got a picture and I think it came with like 12 chocolates. But they were all like, you know, they were all like darker chocolates, if you know what I mean. Well, you travel the globe so much, you get to taste all the best chocolates in the world, going to Belgium and the, the Netherlands. So you got it, you got it right. It was a, I mean, it was a great business. You know, it was just something that was, but it all spawned that overkill. I think that's one of the things that this band has always been about. It's like doing things. 
you know, so it wasn't about just, oh, okay, we're just going to rock and roll. It started a couple of businesses. I'd sold some cars for a while, some, you know, not just, you know, used Hondas or something, but old, you know, <laughs> classics, things like that. And uh, did some chocolates. Didi has another business. Uh, Dave Linsk has another business. So I think it's about staying busy. And I think it's probably, as Metal Walt would know, it's probably part of the Jersey attitude. No no offense to anyone That's else, right. especially John. <laughs> That's how it is. I mean, I have a day job and my night job is uh, the podcast and I do it for free. Yeah. So it's still a second job, you know? I'm and so does John. Hey, you get free <laughs> swag and we get to talk to people oh, like yeah. Bobby and uh, we oh, go to shows. Before we take a deep dive, we do want to wish you a happy birthday. Beginning of the month, 64. We got a lot of questions. We, we're going to dissect the new one. Both Walt and I have tons of notes. My favorite album since Ironbound. So we'll get to that. First little question I do have for you. Do you find being a little older, when you write this new music, you subconsciously have to pump the brakes on singing a certain style or doing something you're like, hey, you know, I'm not 25 anymore. I can't, uh, you know, I got to sing this live. Um, I may have to do 40 takes of this. Does the age ever come in? No, no. I, I mean, I'm lucky to say it hasn't at this point. I mean, we still, you know, usually when a guy hits 55, they start, you know, down tuning everything into a D so they can do it live. You know, uh, we're still doing our stuff. The only time, reason we ever down tune is for effect. Um, and the song stays that way. Uh, one song on this record is uh, tuned down to A, but that's more for effect. That's the song Fever. But everything else is an eight and 440. So I, I've never had a problem with it. I mean, that's you can hear in my speaking voice. It's where my voice really kind of sits is on that higher register anyway. So it's not like it's not something we think about. I can just kind of go for it. Um, I do think on this record, one of the things that happened subconsciously is there may be a little bit more of a relaxed approach to it, but it doesn't have it doesn't lack for authority. Um the relaxed approach was just about not screaming it, but singing it more. There's more melody and it sits. Mm -hmm. My voice sat more in the roof of my mouth than back in the back of my throat. So it kind of gave uh, maybe a different texture this, this long into the career or 20 records deep. There's, there's actually a different texture on that record. And that's from moving my voice around inside my mouth. That's uh, that's awesome. And that's what you were going to say, Bobby, like, 20 albums and as far as my fact checks go i don't think you guys have ever taken a hiatus a break it's been albums all the way through right 35 years and growing correct well it ran on a clock you know i mean in the early days uh, that was specifically our visibility you know this was you know that was pre al gore's internet you know there was no instantaneous information mm -hmm. in 1985 uh, you, you had to wait for periodicals to to read about the, your favorite bands or get in the phone or trade tapes or, you know, whatever it may be, see shows. So you would do a record almost, almost once a year. You would, you know, you did 85, you, did, you released one in early 87, then an 88 one came out and then an 89 one. You know, so that was your visibility. And we kept that clock with us uh, even post-internet, you know, or once the internet came out and you had instantaneous information, we were still doing the same type of a thing. So we never went more than, let's say, 18 months or two years uh, without doing a record, except for this recent one, which was kind of the brakes were put on on that by the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's uh, well, it's a it's a killer record, and we're going to get into that. Um, I got to tell you something, Bobby. This is a kind of a funny story. You know, the Sound Exchange down in Wayne. It's one of the last standing uh, independent record stores because Vintage Vinyl closed. So I went down there. I guess it was uh, a couple of days after the album was released, and I had three CDs I wanted to buy. It was yours, Metallica's, and King's X. Take a guess which album was sold out. Overkill. <laughs> yes. Because the they guy- only had one copy. <laughs> It was like, this is amazing. I, he was like, yeah, man. He's like, a lot of people came in and got it on the first three days. He's like, I don't order enough. I think I went through 10 or 15. He's like, you got to come back next week. So that should be a testament to you guys. Um, but hey, man, the 20th album scorched. I wanted to ask a question about the album art. You know, it's always something that's fascinating to me, being an old school metalhead about the album art. And I think here, like, the signature overkill color is green. And it was funny. I was doing some fact checking before. And actually, I was over in my home office pulling my CD collection out. And I found only two overkill albums that didn't have green in them. <laughs> Do you know which ones they are? I could probably guess. Um, I hear black. Correct. And uh, it's either Killbox 13 or Relics. Neither. Well, maybe maybe those two, but it's for the from the underground and below is in mainly blue. Oh, that's right. It is. You're correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> so talk. I mean, just before we get into the tracks, like talk about the overkill image, you know, the color green and everything that you guys subconsciously do every time to make a killer album cover. Uh, I think it was Bobby Gustafson had a background in, from high school in in um when you did uh t-shirts it was it's not screen printing is it when you'd actually put the ink down and you bring like the you know the big squeegee across um into some type of a template um it's green printing or something like so but it's actually a physical it's a physical task that you do yeah and you'd you'd have to have it on the board so we made our own t-shirts and we started with a white one you know and that kind of stood out but there was other white ones then we had a red one and it kind of stood out, but there was other red ones. We had a green one. Nobody else had fucking green. That was the whole point of the green. It was some kind of a, you know, it was a basic kids marketing idea to stand out amongst all the other T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, th- that's how I remember the green being green, that nobody else had it. So that's why we wanted it. And that's why we ended up getting it back, because other bands had, you know, bands that were huge. You know, Iron Maiden had Eddie. We wanted Chally. You know, yep. we wanted something that would identify us. So you put the green together with the bat, and that was, um, let's say, the kids' idea of what marketing would be, and something we've taken all these years with us. And all the way up to this day, there's, you know, some form of green or green tinge on the pictures or green vinyl, uh, green background. But this artwork, for instance, I mean, this is just, you know, I attribute the the, the artwork on Scorch to uh, Travis Smith, who has been with us since Necroshine and has progressed you know, from year to year to year. I mean, the guy is, he's doing stuff that you can put under glass and frame at this point. I mean, they look like fantastic paintings, not just some digital imagery yeah. kind of thing. And when he came up with these two, you know, we, we were throwing things at him and he came up with this conflict of the two skulls, you know, facing off against each other. And then when the title came up, he went berserk with the fire. I was like, We've had fire, but I said it was 20 records ago. What's the fucking difference if we're ripping ourselves up? This is a beautiful piece of art, you know? So that that's what I attribute that to is Travis Smith. And that definitely not our our insight into what great art should be. It was it's uh, it's all Travis. 
I love the green cassette, man. I think I need to go on a website and buy that, man, because I still got a cassette player because I got a lot of old bootleg show cassettes, a lot of overkill shows, you know, from the Birchill and Nose on cassette. And it would be nice to have that up in my collection. So. I'll tell you, isn't it, isn't it funny that, you, you know, I still have cassettes around here, too. I was just talking to a guy the other day and we were talking about, uh, you know, DVRs and DVDs and all this other shit. And I'm like, you know something? I still have a VHS player. And I have it connected to a little 19-inch TV, but I can have line outs on it that I could go into my computer. But the whole point of that was that if I wanted to play those old VHS tapes that I had of the band, like from the early days where people would give them, I said, I I can't get rid of the VHS player. (laughs) No, you can't because you have some great archives from your earlier career or old football games or something you taped off TV, maybe some porn on the wiggly lines or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, here's a funny thing about the cassettes. Uh, 35 years ago when I was in high school, I was doing uh, broadcast radio. And about two weeks ago, I received a cassette from an old listener, said he was going through his archives and he found this cassette and he mailed it to me. So here's this, yeah, same thing. Here's a cassette of, me in uh, 12th grade, 1986, doing the Metal Mayhem radio show, fucking playing uh, playing Overkill, Feel the Fire, you know, Metallic. It was the night, what it was, it was the night we premiered Master of Puppets because we, we got an advance. So, hey, you know you know what you got to do, Bob? You got all that stuff you have. You have to send it to one of those transferring companies. And have all that stuff digitalized before it won't play on a serious note. Because that's a good point. Yeah, because you can't just let it sit there either. Right. No, no. Yeah. It, ox- it oxidizes. I Maybe we could get a two for one deal, Bobby, because I got about <laughs> 8,000 cassettes of stuff that probably need to be transferred too. But uh, I'm not doing our two for one if you have 8,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Bobby, we want to get into the new album. We we, we love it, as we said. Um, we're going to cover off on most of the songs. So I'm going to start it off. I mean, you know, like you talk about like the first three tracks. It's like it's like a one, two, three kick in the teeth for me. It's like, holy effing ship on this. I mean, scorched. You, you look at the video. There's fire going on and you got bells going on in the middle. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what are, what are these guys doing? Are they trying to get like uh, an opening slot on the Trans-Siberian 2023-24 winter tour? You know, Blitz on the Riser in the beginning, special guest. But no, it really is a killer track. Um, you know, what I found on some of the tracks is, Dave, there's some a little bit more intricate playing on some of these songs. He's like kind of like, you know, showing a little more maturity on that. And I hear that in the song. You know what? And uh, And then you go into the second song, Going Home, right? It's it's that cool guitar little cymbal intro, and then it kicks into gear, and it's got this kind of neat melodic bridge. I can't even describe it, like a melodic bridge that goes into the chorus. Then it has sort of this European, hey, 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 power metal sing-along kind of thing. And, you know, totally two, two, two killer songs. So talk about those two off the bat. Well, I mean, it, you know, there's, there's a right way to open a record, and there's a wrong way to open. You know, and and we've always been of the school that you have to kick the door in. You know, you have to kick it in with something, Mm -hmm. you know, to get people's attention to say you're back. You know, I mean, you don't you don't knock on the door politely, you know, and I I think that that's what Scorch is all about. I mean, it's it's in, in many cases, it's one of the best songs on the record, just based on the fact that it's the opener, I think. Um, and Didi will always when he's, you know, doing mock titles for songs and doing riffs, he'll mock title 
the songs. I've had a song called Opener on my demos all the way back, probably since Horoscope, you know, working with Diddy. This is Opener. He doesn't know what it's going to be called when it's done, but he thinks of it in his head as Opener. And on this song in particular, it gave me two versions of it. And one of them had these background vocals. It almost sounded like, I don't know what I could liken it to. Maybe, uh, oh, 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 thunder. Like, yeah. a, like, a, yep. like an ACDC kind of a thing in it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And as soon as somebody puts that in the head of the guy who's writing the melodies for it, you're like, now I'm fucked. Because all I can hear is these background vocals. So I, I went away from it for a long period of time. And it just finally came to me to marry the two together with those riffs. Now, when it comes to Dave Linsk, I think one of the reasons that you hear more Dave, I don't know if it's more intricacy. He's always been this cat. It's just that there's more room for him. With these melodies, it brings out his best attributes as a guitar player uh, because he's playing counter melodies to the melodies in a lot of cases. Now, obviously, the, the riff and scorch is by itself, you know, that opening kind of guitar salvo that's just coming in yeah. where he's doing that hammer feel uh, thing to the, to the center and then the reintro later on. Dave's always had that, but his talents lend themselves themselves to this record a lot more so. Like even when you get to going home, which is still kind of a thrashy number, yeah. it's it's drenched in melody. The it entire is. record is drenched in melody. There's no fear of melody on this record. You get to the heavier songs like Twist of the Witch, sure, there's blast beats and thrash vocal lines, but fuck, you get to the chorus. It's like you could sing along with this thing, you know? Nope. So I think that that's the uniqueness about the record is that it takes on multiple personalities and really gives a guy like Dave the opportunity to shine more so um, than to just be part of the mix. Um, he's really he's really out in front of the mix and really one of the MVPs. Him, him and Jason Bittner are the two MVPs on this record, in my, in my opinion. Well, let's not forget about Derek either. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, my notes, um, going home. These are my notes on going home. Very accessible almost overkill light under the influence type and features some riffs that I'll take you back to the uh, glory eighties days. So when I say overkill light, I think it was what you were talking about when you answered my first question about the, the song lent itself to that type of singing. You don't have to go a million miles an hour. If you want to go a million, you know, you get tracks like, you know, harder they fall, you know, that fits right into the overkill pocket three-and-a-half-minute song. Bobby, what I want to ask you about is you're old school. You talked about it with the opening song, you're kicking the door down. This album has sequencing. It's You put it in, it clocks into 50-plus minutes, but it seems like it's 40 minutes. It's every song stand on its own, and every one of these songs is starting to turn into like an old friend. Here's my question. Sequencing, what went into it? And is this the type of album where you're going to rehearse four, five, six songs for the tour and rotate them in? I mean, good question. Actually, good observation. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a forgotten art is sequencing. Uh, we come from the, the era of, of sequencing um, where you go into, you know, master disc and get your it, it mastered by somebody and you would sequence the record right there. And a lot of thought went into that. Mm -hmm. Um I think it's a different world today, but we still think we're making records. When we were kids, we were making LPs, you know what I mean? LPs and cassettes. I mean, Walt, Walt has a cassette, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and you have the LP. John has the LP, Walt has a cassette. But we still think that's what we wanted to do when we were kids, was make LPs, records. 
So sequencing is a huge part of it for us. It's the third song is hugely important. The second song is hugely important. The last song is hugely important. But the biggest thing is number one. If you don't have number one, who the fuck wants to hear number two? That's the way we think about yeah. it. Yep. In a different world where we're rolling out singles, we're rolling out The Surgeon, we roll out Wicked Place. We wanted to show a little diversity. You know, The Surgeon was about, okay, it's the Overkill 101 template. Uh, to some degree, it was established in Hammerhead in 1985, mm-hmm. but it's morphed into something different by 2023. It's become... You know the the modern version of that that hammerhead template, thrash. Mm-hmm. You know it's what you kind of expect from us. We wanted to show people, hey, this fucking pandemic may change your lives personally and fucking professionally, etc. But some shit don't fucking change. <laughs> so that was why we picked that. And then the second one was Wicked Place, which had that swinging groove. So we wanted to have contrast mm-hmm. between the two. Okay, so it was even sequencing when it came to how we were releasing the singles. So we think in those terms. Now, when it comes to rolling these out in the road, we're already four songs deep. Um, and that is um, Forged, of course, The Surgeon, uh, Wicked Place. But we're going to, uh, in the next rehearsals, we add uh, Twist of the Wick uh, and possibly Harder They Fall. Uh, because they're just they're just screaming to be played. And, you know, that it also it adds the element of danger to, to playing. I, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir when we do an overkill show. They're coming because they want to come and they love what preceded it and they love what the present holds, um, but still that feeling of danger that we've never done the song before in a live situation is what makes it all worthwhile. I mean, that's where you get the fucking high. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a high yeah. chasing since that picture I took with Bobby Gustafson in Dee Dee Verney's basement. I'm yep. still chasing that fucking high, you know? So that's, yeah. that's why those songs will be, uh, those songs will be integrated into the set over, over the next, uh, over the next year. Well, if it's uh, any consolation, my notes for harder, they fall. The first thing I says in caps, this has to be in the live set. Little over three minutes, just chugs away. Bittner is pounding. Bittner is pounding. Great chant. Harder. They fall. Totally see the pit speeding up live. Plus, Dave Linsk's leads are killer. Great song. <laughs> you know how you get Jason to play faster? You can't do that any faster. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 10 years ago, Jason. Not- I'm joking, of course. Yeah. He did a great job on this record. He really, again, is one of the MVPs on it. And that's his speed and his consistency are just they're unparalleled, in, in my opinion. I have a funny story about Jason uh, Blitz. Uh, right before the pandemic, you were over in Europe, uh, fall 2019, yeah. 20, something this like that. Funny. I work for I work for a company in Belgium and you happen to be in town in Antwerp the way the week I was there. So, of course, I go to the show and, uh, you know, I'm walking down the street and, you know, I see Jason outside and I'm like, hey, Jason, what's up? My name is uh, Metal Wall. And he's like, wait a minute, you're an American accent. Who, who are yeah, I'm from Jersey, too. What what the fuck are you doing here? Are you stalking us or something? I said, no, 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 I'm on a business trip. <laughs> But you you talk about, I mean, I I wanted to get into the live stuff later, but you talk about like the, the, the whole world makes sense moment. I'm drinking those strong Belgian beers, watching you guys at Trick Zal and you, you play welcome to the garden state. Welcome to the garden state. I'm the only guy there that understands any of it. I'm half in the bag with these delicious beers that I'm like, God is shining the light on me. This is perfection here. Were you looking for a big-haired gum-chewing Jersey girl? <laughs> Not going to find that in Belgium. You might find a big girl, a big Dutch girl, you know? But 
Anyway, so hey, back to some of the tracks on on the new album. Like, um, and I'm I'm a funny guy. I like to be stupid about the humor. But like, when it comes to the surgeon, like, yeah. and and some of the lyrics, like, what what is this stuff about? Like, I'm imagining listening to the surgeon, and I can imagine you go off stage and you come back with a doctor's coat, a white doctor's coat on, with some scissors and a big syringe, and you're gonna say, "I am the surgeon, and I cut your dreams away." <laughs> like what are some of the, the the inspiration you get for writing these lyrics you know i i mean i suppose somewhere it came it, it morphed into something that had a little bit of humor to it it was obviously honestly very fucking shittily depressing when it was first written because under the circumstances it was written were that of the pandemic and the surgeon was our fearless leader you know who you'd hear every night go on the news at fucking six o'clock and contradict himself from the fucking day before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> eventually, eventually, like many of us, he said, I've had enough of this shit and enough yeah. of this fucking surgeon. And that's why the song eventually became that way. It became kind of, can't say, it, it, maybe the vocal line itself is kind of silly, the way it bounces back and forth. We were killing for the martyr. We were killing for the Pope. But I just wanted to get something in there that was rhythmic and make it sound that, do what I say, do what I say, do what uh, I say, not what I do, do what I say, yeah. not what I do. So I took that depressive end of it and and made it kind of hypocritical um, with regard to lyrics. So I suppose that's where, you, where you're picking up the humor through it. Yeah. Um, I, I'll cut your dreams away. You know, it's just that simple. And listen, when all is said and done, no one has the right. So... <laughs> What about Twist of the Wick? What What is that about? I mean, number one, it's a killer heavy track. I like that little, like, sounds like monks chanting in the middle. Like, did you go down <laughs> to the local uh, the local church and get some 97-year-old priest to do some chants? Hey, listen, I'm sitting right here, okay? <laughs> I, I, uh, that, that was a toughest song for me to write. Um, I never really saw the... Um, I didn't see that one. Usually I can see the outcome of the song. Um, I think most guys can. You know, you at least envision where you're supposed to go with it. I never could. And I don't understand why, because it just seems like it's in my wheelhouse. Uh, but I think the difference was the fact that there was thrash, you know, coupled with super melodic type parts, you know, again, bathed in kind of melody. Um, but... You know, Twist of the Wick is just something that I picked up when I rode with a club here in Jersey. And, you know, to Twist the Wick is just get the, the motorcycle, fuck out of here. Motorcycle reference, right? Get the fuck, yeah. yeah, get out of here. You know, everything's <laughs> exploding around you. Twist the Wick. You know, that's as simple as it is. There's a solution to all things, you know? Yep. Uh, so I just implied it into the song. But, you know, I was listening to the song and I finally got it down and I was working on it in sections. I had the pre-chorus and I had the chorus. I was really satisfied with them. I wasn't going to be doing anything in the center, but I needed the verse. And I finally scored the verse and I had been working on this one section over and over again. And I had to do who I work with, play it back. I'm like, play it back. Just play the whole song through. I want to hear it. I haven't heard it in a month. And he played it. And then the monks came on and I'm like, what in the fuck is this? He goes, did he set this? I'm like, when? He goes, it's a month ago. It's him and Derek and Michael Romeo all fucking around with a fucking computer. And I loved it. You know, it added yep. such another characteristic or nuance to the song that yep. kind of took it somewhere else between the church bells and the monks singing. And yep. 
there's cellos going on. I'm like, what the fuck are we missing? We're just missing, you know, the birthing of a baby on this. Thing. I mean, there's so much different <laughs> fucking shit in here that it made it that much interesting. So, I mean, I love the song. It came out as one of my favorites once I actually saw the the final, you know, the the, the result. Uh, the result came before the vision. Put it that way. It must be Didi's influence on playing big band music once a year down in Jersey, you know. <laughs> so that must be he's tinkering in with horns uh, and I don't know what else cellos, right? Like well, there, there's more. I got a double dip: the Wicked Place Fever combo, bongos, you know, you know, channeling your inner Sabbath. It's uh, a nice bluesy. You're singing cool, you know. Another example of you guys stepping out of your comfort zone, but hey, it works. It fucking kills. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, for some reason, I always thought I wrote records for other people, you know, and I realized more than a decade ago, I don't know if this is maturity or something. I realized I was a selfish bastard. I was doing this for myself. You know, I mean, I, I'm a liar to say, you know, listen, I'm part of the community of the metal community. I, I, I'm honored to be such for so long. But I write these records or my parts of the records because I love performing this shit. And and. Whenever it goes different into a, something like Fever or something like Wicked Place that has that that groove that I was fucking I was singing those kind of groove songs when when I was fourteen years old in the fucking shower, man. I mean, they were, that's right off of a fucking Sabbath record, almost. Yeah. You know, from back in that that era, and, and for Wicked Place. And then the thing when we got to Fever, I was like, "Fuck, this is gonna be great if we could get yeah. this to work." And finally, when it came together, I was like, "This is fun. This is what it's about." What's that? Uh, what's that? The groovy chorus line, three twelve twenty, two thirds money, three thirteen, and shut my mouth. Like, what the hell is that about? Three twelve twenty, all shut down. That was the day that. That was the day they shut the world down. Twelve twenty, yeah. Shut okay. down, and I don't know if I believe her. Two thirds money, where's the crown? I don't even know. I believe it myself. We call it fever. So it was a. The whole point was I was writing it way later on, but I used the lyric of the. I used the date of the last show that we were doing, which was three twelve twenty. I wrote it later on, saying two thirds of this is about the cash, isn't it? <laughs> uh, which, by the way, I uh, that was going to be a talking point for later. You know, I w- was supposed to go to the next show in Jersey at the Wellmont Theater, which turned into uh, the infamous 609 fucking days later T-shirt, you know, with Phil Demo playing. So, yeah, you got there, right? It, was, it took us a long time. I mean, the, that, the lyrics in the center of that were done. I think the next line is 313 and shut my mouth. It's, you know, just shut up and take what we're feeding you. And so it was a day-to-day kind of a experience when we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they said, you know, Live Nation was like, we think we're shutting the world down for shows. I was like, they're shutting the world down. Everybody get their fucking clean underwear on because <laughs> yeah. we're heading home after this, you know? And because you just knew it was going to happen. So so I just all I did was put it in the song just to be uh, as sarcastic as I possibly could with regard to the edict yeah. <laughs> of those who rule the world. I have one last song, and then we're going to take our walk down heavy metal memory lane because this guy's itching at the bit. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, but uh, Bag of Bones. Uh, it's a great song. Tell, tell us about this song. It's out of the comfort zone. Another one. And an excellent album closer. I call it the overkill dance song. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, you can see some. You can you can picture some booty being shaked to this. You know, yeah. I mean, this is like. I, 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 we're talking about mock titles before. I mean, I had one that was called Ten, and I only got ten songs, and then I got a mock title one that said Last One. I said, How can there be two number tens? And I got on the phone with uh, with Didi, and he said, No, no, no. He goes, Last one. It's just because it's so much different than everything else that it needs to be somewhere by itself, you know? And, and he goes, and I just want to do it because it's fucking fun. And I was like, well, good for you, you know, to have that kind of a, you know, have that kind of motivation behind it. So when I got into the song and it's really one of the first ones I did because it was just fun. Uh, they're just goofy lyrics. It's traveling. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of taken across the stratosphere and equating it to touring. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing, there's no depth in it. It's just supposed to be, does anything strike you in it? You know, shake that bag of bones. You'll never be alone. It's kind of like with regard to those who love the same shit that we love uh, collectively. So I, I think one of my favorite songs on the record too, just because of it's like you said, it's difference. No, it's a it's a killer. It's a killer one. So, so Bobby, I, I you know, on the touring front, I know you've been through Europe already. I think you're going out to the UK. I was looking at the list. You got a show this weekend in the UK. So what's what's the plans for the US? I assume coming in the fall. Well, the UK got canceled. That guy that guy had some trouble. Um, that was Manifest outside of London uh, that had gotten canceled. This is the second year in a row he's had this issue. Um but whatever. I mean, I, I'm sure it was a ticket issue, selling tickets. Everybody's talking about logistics. There's, you know, logistic this, logistic that. People just don't want to part with their cash. I fucking get it. You know, <laughs> they went for a couple of years and not working. They don't want to part from the cash and they don't want to pay high prices for tickets. So it's totally understandable. Uh, the U.S. will start on the 13th of July. Um, it's going to start out west. Uh, we're assuming at this point San Francisco or somewhere in the Bay Area uh, to start. Uh, might be the American Music Hall, might be the Fillmore. I'm not really sure where. Uh, it's going to run about three plus weeks. It's going to come all the way down the West Coast and across the Southwest into the Southeast, into Florida, and then up. So if you can picture like the big horseshoe mm -hmm. kind of a kind of a, so going to be all around the perimeter of the states from uh, San Francisco all the way back to uh, to the New Jersey area. What do you? Who are you taking out in the road? It'll be Exhorter from uh, New Orleans and Heathen from San Francisco. I'm sure they're very happy to be starting in San Francisco, being that they just get dropped yeah. off by wives and girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, we can't wait to see it come through, of course, every time. It'll be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's just good. I mean, even like you were saying, the Wellmont show, I mean, that was just good to get out there and just, you know, just to be involved in it again. That was, I, I remember doing an interview with a cat I know from, from Zurich and he was uh he wanted to do an interview during the pandemic and I'm like what the fuck is this I want to talk about yeah. during the pandemic you know what am I doing with my spare time I'm learning how to cook you know I'm trying to make some money doing some other shit I adopted a dog I mean what, what do you want to talk about he, but he wanted to talk about you know what's the worst time for the band and I said well it's right fucking now I said this yeah. is the longest time I haven't been on a stage in my you know yeah. since all the way back in 1983 and uh I think that that's what he was getting at and I just I didn't understand it until it came out of my mouth and said, this fucking blows. We got to change this. Yeah. So that Wellmont show was uh, was the change or the change back to normality for me. It was definitely it was definitely something special. I mean, there's there's always something special about an overkill show. You know, it's like I was uh, saying there's I, I, I've seen 20 shows, Bobby, and that and that's comes from the heart. It's been a long time. And, uh, you know, I want to cover off on some of these shows. But like there's something about the overkill show. 
the lights go, not even the lights go down, the lights dim. And then the smoke starts slowly building up and you don't know it's coming yet. And then you get the intro music and then you, you know, you're rubbing your eyes. You can't see your coffin, you know, and then it just goes right in and it'll get darkens down and the green comes on. But uh, yeah. So um, yeah, totally. So uh, I want to bring up my presentation here and show you something. Give me a second here. So I pulled out today the ticket stubs that I had and, uh, these are the ones. Wow. So I, I think I started my career up top at the fast lane show. First time I saw overkill in 1992, I was 22 then. And then the ritual for me, and I, and you can appreciate this being a Jersey, New York guy, you know, you guys came through with every year you played a show in October and you play a show in April. It was mainly the Birchill. It was the cricket club in Irvington. And then you moved over a little bit to club in but it was, the, the ritual for me was sometimes just as much fun as the show. When the Birchill shows, it was like you drove down from North Jersey. You stopped at Bourbon Street, the go-go bar. You got a little tanked <laughs> up. Then you drove down the road. You pulled into the dirt road of the Birchill, almost flipped a car over once. I remember seeing you guys. I was hit the sign. And then you go to the show. The headliner doesn't go on until 1230. You go down Route 9. You turn back around. And either you go to White Castle or the Peter Pank <laughs> Diner. And then you get home at 4 in the morning. It's just you did it twice a year. It was just a ritual. So, John, I gotta, I gotta clear something up. I gotta. So you get in the car, you go down Route Nine, you stop at Bourbon Street because you know the band's gonna be there before the show, and this way you can get your shit signed. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that he called the strip club the Go Go, the Go Go. What's 1968? The go go? I, I don't know. That's that's I always the go go bar. There was a girl there that used to. She had this. She would had the ability to climb up the pole and then she would flip upside down with her legs up, holding on, and come down. And she would put a beer mug without a lid on her head and slide all the way down and never drop it. That was like the worth the price of admission in and of itself. That's my sister. She does that at Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, okay. Get, send us your address. We're coming. Go. <laughs> So hey, Bobby, talk about some of these old days in Jersey, like the Birchill and uh, some of these shows down in uh, the gutters of Jersey, like you used to say. Yeah, I mean, the Cricket Club, this was, jeez, uh, they started doing stuff. That was right outside of Newark. It was not it the nicest not, area of the world. It was not conducive to to bringing people in to the, the shows. There was it was also at the Cricket Club. They did the New Jersey Metal Meltdown. I don't know if you remember that, but that was done by a guy named Jack Koshik who yeah. actually started the Milwaukee Metal Fest out in Milwaukee, um, which is actually happening right now again mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, this weekend. Uh, but Jamie Josta from Hatebreed um, has picked it up. But Tashik was, he tried to bring that to New Jersey, and he did it at the Cricket Club, but then moved it down to, I think it was the Paramount Theater down in Asbury. So he did, he did some decent things. But I remember playing the fast lane. I and that was one of like that was one of those gigs I remember that we did. Like, should we do it or are we gonna be relegated to playing like places like the fast lane from now on? And we got stuck in that for a while. The New York Steel show was Eddie Trunk. Mike yep. Piazza was like the co-host of it, which was yep. awesome. I'm a big baseball fan. You know, I was talking baseball, he's talking flotsam and jetsam to me. He's like, I know all your stuff. I got all your... I'm like, what's the best part about being in you know, in a professional baseball team, he's like, I like flying coach because people can't believe when they see me back. <laughs> <laughs> I had some good fun with that. BB Kings, that was kind of, um, 
that was back into the city for us. That was one of the cool things about going to BB's because we did a few gigs at BB's right on 42nd. Yeah. Before you knew it, we were over on 43rd at what was the Best Buy Theater, Sony. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's the, I think it's called the Palladium uh, yeah. over, over 43rd and uh, 7th or 43rd and Broadway. Uh, so there were some, you know, these are some good memories for me. The um the, the I don't know if you remember the the uh, the one at the bottom the Hard Rock Cafe show that was I think it was an Eddie Trunk one and you had to get on the guest list for it and you don't have a drummer I don't remember who the drummer was at the time if it was Ron Lipnicki or whatever but I, Portnoy had to fill in on that and I remember that show specifically because you guys did I think you guys did Symptom of the Universe and maybe it was Highway to Hell or something but it was like a cool chill show with some overkill songs and half covers it was it was it was. Uh... It was Hard Rock. That's when the Hard Rock was up on 57th, I think. Yeah. I'm probably looking at it. Yep. 221.57th. Um, it was Portnoy. It was Mike Portnoy filled in. It was um, our drummer, Tim, had just gotten married, and uh, his his wife had a child that was ill, and he said, I can't do it. I can't, I can't come uh, for this. And Portnoy put it together in two days. And Mike is that kind of guy, you know? Mike yeah. has always been, you know, he's 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 – He's not just that drummer. He's that encyclopedia um, where information that comes in, what he's heard is always comes out of him. And ever since that show, he's he'll show up somewhere where you least expect him, you know, like Sweden rock, crocodile <laughs> rock and fucking Allentown with a pair of drumsticks in his back pocket. Say, hey, can I play? <laughs> sure. I got no problem. Hey, Bobby, I'm going to pivot into a few uh, listener and tweeter questions that lines right up with this. Vince McDowell asks, in honor your uh, BPMD covers album and your Metal Allegiance performances, if you could sing any song live with another band, what song would it be and what band would it be? Vince McDowell. Any song? I mean, I would do, I mean, obviously I would pick a Priest song. because um, I just like, I just... I I know I'm not Rob Halford, but I aspire to be such. <laughs> and I have the balls to go up and do it, and and even fail if that's the case. But the uh, but I I mean I love Priest songs, um, and I would and the song I would pick would would be Painkiller. Hmm. They, they test your chops. Ah, uh, let's see. Next question is Mike Anthony of Rochester. Uh, ask Bob. Are you still in contact with Rat Skates or any other of the members of the long uh, overkill fraternity? And let's give a uh, nod to uh, the late Sebastian Marino. We lost him beginning of the year. He's a Rochester native. Um, Can you comment on any of these past members and especially Sebastian? Of course. Hey, Mike. Um, Yes, I am in touch. I mean, Sebastian actually had opened a production company and we up until I guess it was pre-pandemic two two eighteen or so we'd always buy uh rent a lighting package from him and what he would do he was he was going between Rochester and Florida um he'd remarried and went to Florida and had like a a place down there and he would hang out with Dave Linsk uh but he would try to pick up the lights himself at the last show so that he could see all the guys, you know, once a year. So we always kept that wide open. And whenever I and whenever I got a bill from him, I would call him and complain about it. You son of a bitch! Is this what <laughs> the amount we agreed upon? But so there was always that, you know, great camaraderie between us. I am 
uh, I'm in touch with Joe Camo, obviously, since uh, Seb passed. Uh, Tim Mallory, I see when I'm down in Florida. Sid Falk is on my email and um, text almost on a regular basis. He's doing music that he's producing and mixing on his own, mixing for other bands. Mm -hmm. He's out in Oklahoma still. I'm not in touch with Rat uh, or Bobby, so that's the first rendition of the band. Canavino, Rob Canavino owns a uh, bar in upstate New York. He pops out whenever we're in Rochester or somewhere in that area, Binghamton. He'll he'll come down and uh, and say hello to us. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Eddie Garcia, Ron Lipnicki is in touch with us. So probably only the first uh, two guys in Merrick I'm not in touch with. And, uh, you know, it, this is he's going to kill me, but uh, my buddy up here in Rochester does sound and lights, Big John. I know, John. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Rochester connection. Of course, we got the Penny Arcade. You know, you did Backstreets. But the last question I have from a listener, his band actually opened up for you guys at the historic German house, Bill of Order of the Dead. It was Overkill, Crowbar, and local support. Bill asks, how do you keep your voice in shape when when in the downtime? Does the band practice regularly, vocal exercises, or screaming in your car when you're bumping around town? Bill from Order of the Dead. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that uh, that gig at the at the the German the German Hall. Um, that was actually a good gig. Uh, keeping a voice in shape. I don't worry about it. It's not like you know. I'm not like one of those those dudes. You know. I mean, obviously, you see me vaping here. I used to be a fucking Marlboro guy. I was for you know until 2012. I dropped them. I've I've it helped my voice as soon as I did, mm-hmm. um, and helped my air and helped my health. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think, oh, I forgot my scarf. I don't think, oh, I better warm up or, you know, <laughs> I'm fucked. I never think this stuff. I, I think there's something to be said about not worrying about it uh, that helps it. Uh, I do aspire to be better. I think that that helps me. Uh, we don't uh, tune anything lower so that I can reach it. We do everything in the original keys that it was, they were written in. Um, the only time we, you know, detune or, or downtune is like, for instance, on Fever, it's it's tuned down to an A, but the point is so it shakes Grandma's dishes in the china cabinet, <laughs> not so that uh, not so that I can reach those notes. Uh, the idea is for effect more than anything else. So I I think it's not worrying about it, and you know just not over abusing it. But I mean I'm a beer drinker, you know I like having some fun, you know I like yelling at fucking live sports. I mean the whole thing. It's not like oh my god I'm a singer I'm delicate. It's not it's none of that. Delicate, I'm not. Hey, Bobby, just going back to the touring, uh, it's a bit of a cliche question, but I I remember one other show back in the day, you played in a convention hall in Asbury. You were filming the 20th anniversary for the DVD. And I was at that one too. And I remember it was the longest overkill show. It was like two hours and 10 minutes. And it's hard when you got 20 albums, but how just do you sit down every tour and decide how to pick 15, 16 songs that are going to fit in 90 minutes. I mean, obviously there's some you got to have to do and a good, a sprinkling of the new material, but where do you go back and how do you go back and pick out those deep tracks and gems? Well, I mean, there's, you have to, I I mean, we don't ever talk about it, but there's got to be certain songs that are in there. I mean, there's some classic songs that have to be in there. And they get shifted around, but I don't think Elimination or Rotten to the Core has ever left the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the newer songs, one of them is Electric Rattlesnake, has never left the set since it was written. 
Um, they just seem to lend themselves to good energy when it comes to the crowd. But there's in Union We Stand gets inserted in and out. It'll be exchanged with a song called Bastard Nation. So I kind of look at it in percentages. It's got to be 25% new or it's just not going to fucking work or it just won't be that exciting for the band. 25% new, 25% classic. We're at half of it right there. Then some hidden shit. And then you just kind of dust it off with, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? What do you want to play? You know, that kind of a thing. So it's really it's really a, a democratic process with 50 to 70 percent of it being uh, new and um, and old classical classic stuff. Yeah, that's killer. Well, we can't wait to get out there and hear the the new stuff. And of course, everything that we're looking forward to and can't wait to get my eyes and throat clogged with that good, you know, good old smoke coming at you. <laughs> um, last point before we let you go, Bobby, you mentioned before, you know, if, if there was a you wanted to sing maybe Judas Priest or that kind of thing. We were talking to Jason McMaster back in December, and this was right around the time when uh, he filled in for Mark Tornillo, and then he filled in for Johnny Bush. And he gave us a very long version of how he landed the gig, and he mentioned that you were the first choice to fill in for Accept, but you guys were out on the road in Europe. Is that a fact? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Tornillo got to me. I mean, it was... um, Mark had some trouble, and then you know, and then Wolf gave me gave me a call, got my number from Tornillo. I was recording Scorched. I mean, I wasn't going to leave right in the middle of that to go out and, you know, to do four or five songs and, and maybe blow my voice out with stuff I don't know that well. Um, and then come back and then our stuff would be in a little bit of jeopardy. So I suggested a few people and they eventually ended up, um, they eventually ended up uh, with Jason, who's a great singer, who's done a ton of stuff. I mean, he was he was just a he was a perfect choice for the whole thing. But I got him in touch with like uh, I think Zetro and Asagata, you know, stuff like that. I said, I you know, I got plenty of people that we can get in touch with, and I didn't have Jason's number, but he was uh, I was the first call. I think Jason was the uh, the confirmed call, and and was a great choice for for uh, helping him accept. Yeah, well, you you can step in the shoes anytime. Maybe someday you'll do a big cover show and do all your best classics. You know, you can bring it down East Hanover. I got a big yard, man. We'll set you up in the yard on the blacktop. Oh man, we'll do a we'll do a backyard barbecue <laughs> with Overkill at the Franco House, sponsored by Metal Mayhem ROC, and John Good can fun. come down with his food service and cater it. Good fun. Well, Bobby, it has been a pleasure, man. Um, this was awesome for me, and felt like I finally. Close the deal on years and years of following you. More to come. And hey, when you guys are back around in the fall, hopefully I'll say hi. We'll have a beer together. Hey, man. Fantastic interview. Both of you. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question. When is the Jersey show? The next one? Yeah, you said you were making your way back, Florida, and then up north. We have this, we have this uh, thing going on. We're trying to get this other show. So it's going to depend on that. I know I'm sounding very cryptic here, but I'm just not at liberty to talk about this. It's, you know, these people do everything like this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm going to wait for their answer to, to see. Um, it would be a great show for us if we get, if we can get it. Um, it's right around the beginning of August. So that'll depend on where we go, whether it's going to be a Jersey show, whether it be a Long Island show. Uh, something like that. It'll need to be a little bit removed from Jersey. Well, now that I feel I have been consulting for the overkill direction, um, we do have the uh, Metallica show in, in Jersey, and they have that open date on that Saturday. 
They're playing. Well, they're no, no. They're playing Friday and Sunday up at the Meadowlands. So let's get uh, let's get overkill because I'm coming down to spend a week with the Francos. We're going to shows left and right and. Yeah, well, and that's all I can tell you. All right. all right. That sounds great, man. That sounds great. If not, Bobby, sooner than later, maybe I'll hit you up and we'll hit up. We'll meet on Cracker Barrel on Route 80 for, for a nice <laughs> cup of coffee. What do you think? <laughs> we could get the catfish yeah. with the two sides for ten ninety nine. butter on that fucking catfish. <laughs> it's a year's worth of butter in each one. We don't have Cracker Barrel. Enough of them. I love it. Jersey guys are nuts. Thanks, Bob. Be safe. All right, boys. Take care. Cheers, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guy. See ya. The Ruminator, Bobby Blitz, signing off. I approve this fucking message. (laughs) Overkill. 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 Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.